Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, here's the mystery, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me According to the working of His power. To me, Paul, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages had been hidden in God, who created all things. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known Through the church. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose. Which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. What is God's eternal plan for the body of Christ? That's the question the Bible answers in the passage that we just read in Ephesians 3, 1-13. through And what we're going to find this morning is that God's eternal plan is to make His wisdom known through the church. We are the canvas on which God displays His marvelous wisdom. And so here we are gathered in this room as brothers and sisters in Christ. And you may wonder... What is the purpose of the church? Why does God have a people? And what is He doing in them? And what is He doing through them? What is His eternal plan for us as His bride? Is it still relevant today? Is it still important today to belong to the body of Christ? And if so, is it still good to be a part of a local church that meets and gathers and lives life together? Well, I plan to answer those types of questions from the Bible because the Bible has a remarkable answer for us in Ephesians 3. I mean, truly astonishing, life-altering, if we can just get a glimpse of it. Because what we're going to find is that the church is where all the action is. The church united to Jesus is at the center of God's plan to bring glory to His name for His wisdom. 
You see, if you go home and you turn on the TV or you turn on the radio, you're going to find all kinds of things claiming to be of most importance. And we could be fooled into thinking that everything revolves around politics or sports or world events and so on. And while those things might be important, that's not where all the action is. The world would have us believe that the church should be sidelined. That it's a thing of the past. A thing of old to be done with altogether. Don't you know, they ask, there are more important matters than the church. But God's word paints a very different picture. Because while all the world claims that the body of Christ is outdated, God's eternal plan has been to make His wisdom known through the church, through us. And His eternal plan could never be outdated. So I just want us all this morning to behold together the incredible eternal purpose that the church is center stage to display God's glorious wisdom. That you and I have a grand, universal, eternal purpose for what we're doing here today as we gather and as we go out on mission. My prayer is that we would just capture a glimpse of the wondrous privilege it is to belong to the body of Christ. And that we would all rejoice in it together and that we would live it out together. And So I want to show you two main things in our passage today. Those two main headings are in the bulletin in the top right hand side of the page. Those two things are first, I want us to look at the eternal purpose of God. And second, I want us to see the great mission of the church. The eternal purpose of God and the great mission of the church. In this passage, we come face to face with the eternal purpose of God for His church. And I get this primarily because of verse 11. If you would look at verse 11 with me. It says, This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. So verse 11 is talking about God's eternal purpose. And that eternal purpose was carried out in Christ Jesus. Meaning Jesus Christ accomplished it. He secured it. But what is that purpose? Because verse 11 only says this was in accordance with the eternal purpose. But what's the this? I mean there has to be something that comes before verse 11 that verse 11 is referring to. And we want to know what that is. And so to get to that we have to go back a verse. We have to go back to verse 10. And we find in verse 10 that the eternal purpose of God mentioned in verse 11 is God making His wisdom known through the church. So here's here's verse 10. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with With the eternal purpose. So what's God's eternal plan? That his wisdom might be on display. Through the church. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Friends we can't miss this. 
that God's eternal plan is to make His wisdom known through the bride of Christ, through the church, through His people. Which means our purpose then is to display the marvelous wisdom of God. But you might be asking a very important question. How is God going to display His wisdom through us? People considered to be outcasts of society. Men and women and children who by the world standards just believe in an old archaic book. How are we going to show forth the glorious wisdom of God? If God's eternal purpose is to make His wisdom known through the church, how exactly does He do this? I don't know if you noticed, but all throughout the chapter, in chapter 3 as we read it, Paul refers to something that he calls a mystery. And when this mystery is unraveled, it displays the wisdom of God. So let's look at what that mystery is. In verse 3, he says the mystery, Paul says the mystery was made known to him by God. So here's verse 3, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. And then you get to verse 4 and he says, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So the mystery that has been made known to Paul can now be understood by reading what he's written here. Which means there's hope for us. Because we can see it. And then in verses 8 through 9, Paul says he was given the privilege to preach the gospel to make this mystery known. Here's verses 8 and 9. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So the mystery that had been concealed for ages now could be seen and known as Paul preached the gospel We want to know, what is that mystery? How does preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ reveal and uncover a mystery that had been hidden for ages? By preaching the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, what becomes clear that was previously unclear? Let's look at verses 4 through 6. In chapter 3, because in those verses, Paul tells us specifically what he means when he talks about the mystery. And this is key for us to understand how God displays His wisdom through the church. So here's verses 4 through 6 again. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Spirit. So what's the mystery that has now been revealed, that wasn't previously revealed? Verse 6, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery revealed through the gospel is that the promise of God made to His people in the Old Testament, the Gentiles 
are now fellow partakers of that promise. If you remember, there is a man from the land of Ur named Abram. And God called Abram to himself by sheer grace. Not because Abram was great. Not because he deserved a relationship with God. But because God was gracious to him. And when God called forth Abram, He made this promise to him. He said, In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God would bless the nations through the seed of Abraham. And now what Paul is saying is that this has come true through Jesus. In Jesus, now all the nations, the Gentiles, non-Jews, are fellow partakers of the promise through the gospel. So friends, I want to make sure we're on the same page. God's eternal plan is to make His wisdom known through the church. And we're trying to figure out how exactly God does that. How does He take us and do that? And we know it has something to do with living out this mystery that was at one time concealed and now it's been revealed in Christ and that mystery has something to do with Gentiles being fellow partakers with Jews through faith in Christ and so God's wisdom is on display because the Jews and the Gentiles are together in their enjoyment of the riches of Christ but what's so special about the Jews and Gentiles enjoying the promise of God together Through faith in Jesus. Why would that display God's wisdom? We need to understand that these two groups were often opposed to each other. The Jews considered the Gentile nations to be unclean. And the Gentiles, like the Roman Empire, often exercised control over the Jews. We can look throughout the history of the Bible and just think about the Jews' slavery in Egypt and their captivity under Babylon. And so there was a type of enmity, a type of hatred that existed between these two different groups of people, Jews and non-Jews, those who were considered the people of God and those who were the pagan nations. And don't we see the same thing today? Enmity between ethnicities. Don't people build walls between themselves and the people who look different or sound different or act different or live different? Don't we see obstacles between people based on socioeconomic class and culture and so on? But then we read about what God is doing in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, and it makes Ephesians 3 click for us, to where we can understand all this weird language about mystery and so forth. It becomes so clear in the previous chapter in Ephesians 2. So I'm just going to read it, and I think it's going to be pretty clear as I read it what exactly Paul is talking about and how this would bring glory to God for His wisdom bringing the Jews and Gentiles together. Here it is. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh. Now, if you're not an ethnic Jew here this morning, that's that's you as well. 
Remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That describes who we were apart from Christ. Separate from Him. Excluded from the household of Israel. Strangers to all the covenant promises. Having no hope without God in the world. That's you and me before Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself, Jesus, is our peace. Who made both groups... Jews and Gentiles, into one. And broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in His flesh the enmity. He goes on, so that in Himself He might make the two into one new man. Now the word there in the original language is that He might bring the two into one new humanity. He's creating a new people, thus establishing peace. Verse 16, and He might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. Now we just read about the mystery that displays God's wisdom. It's that Jesus Christ is our peace. And that He through His blood has not only saved individual sinners from their sins, but He's brought them together into one new humanity. He's brought the two into one. He's broken down the dividing wall of hatred. Through the cross of Christ, those who would be natural enemies have become family. And in that, the wisdom of God is made known. Because the world has attempted in so many ways to unite people. But it's constantly failed. Yet wherever the gospel is truly preached and believed, there is a unity among unlikely friends. My dear brothers and sisters, God's wisdom is on display in the church when the young and the old, when the light and the dark, when the educated and the uneducated are united under Christ. I mean, the world might have its factions, but God has His church. And if we look back at verse 10 in chapter 3, it says, the manifold wisdom of God is made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This isn't talking about kings and presidents. It's talking about angels. These are rulers in the heavenly places. Paul is saying that angels look upon the church and they see a unity unlike any other and they praise and they worship God for His wisdom. That He would be so wise to send His Son to purchase sinners and unite them into a family. Did you know that angels look at our gathering this morning and they marvel? 
They worship God's wisdom. I mean, the world says that people from different socioeconomic classes shouldn't be able to get along. But they're united under Christ this morning. And God's wisdom is glorified. The world says people from different generations should be opposed to each other. I mean, how could we possibly agree and live together and understand one another and love each other? Yet different generations are united together this morning under Christ. And God's wisdom is on display. And the angels look and they praise God to the highest. Let's just take a moment to observe these things and hopefully grow in our love and our appreciation for them. First, just think about the church's purpose. There's a lot of things that you might think are the purpose of the church. You might be here for a variety of reasons yourself this morning. Maybe it's because it's just the right thing to do as a Christian, and it is. Maybe it's because it's the way to grow in your faith, which it is. Maybe you come to be encouraged or to sing your favorite songs or to do many other biblically faithful things that we're commanded to do in the Bible, which all of those things should be done. But all of this is under one grand purpose. There's one thing that should convince us above everything else to be meaningfully involved in a church and to gather regularly and to sing His praises and to pray together. And that's because the church exists to glorify God. We exist to display His glorious wisdom as we live life together, united under Christ. So there's a great purpose. Or consider what we might think to be the most important in the world. Over the last couple of months, politics have been front and center, haven't they? The past year has put COVID-19 as the issue, the most important thing to focus on. Sometimes all of our attention is focused on our nation. Or some kind of event that has happened elsewhere in the world. Situations happen in which everyone's eyes turn and focus on something. And it's not wrong to think about those things. Or to see them as important. Oftentimes we should or we might be negligent. But we have to remember that for all of eternity, God has centered things on His wisdom being made known through the church. We can't forget that while our eyes look at something out there as most important, the angels are looking at us and glorifying God for His wisdom. While the world puts forth its issues and its concerns, the angels worship God when they see a room full of Christians. Or consider the things we might think would certainly bring more glory to God for His wisdom than us. Surely the universe with all of its stars and its galaxies, the rotation of the planets, the perfectly placed celestial bodies to make everything work, surely that brings God the most glory. Surely the oceans with its depths 
are the most beautiful display of his wise intellect. I mean, God made and knows and understands and upholds everything down there that's too deep for us to even visit. Certainly the mountains and the changing seasons are the most marvelous. Surely creation as a whole declares God's wisdom above everything else. I mean, just think about the intricacies of the human eye and the intelligence needed to create everything from nothing. Yet God's eternal plan to glorify His wisdom is fulfilled through the church. Through us. When the angels glorify God for His wisdom, they're looking at Christians. The world calls our Savior foolish. They call the method of preaching foolish. They call the message of the cross foolish. They call the church foolish. Yet this foolish church, receiving a foolish message, delivered by foolish preachers, all about a foolish Savior, God has called it wise. God has found it most wise to glorify His wisdom through the church. We exist, friends. If you can just capture a glimpse of this. We exist so that angels would see us and praise God. So what we're doing this morning is not useless. It's not ridiculous. It's not outdated. It's where all the action is. It's at the center of God's eternal plan to display His wisdom. Which leads to our concluding portion for the message this morning, which is the great mission of the church. If God's eternal plan is to glorify Himself through the unity of the church... What should we do? First, we should proclaim the gospel. We should preach it everywhere like Paul did. In verse 9, Paul knew that preaching the gospel would bring to light the mystery that was hidden. He knew that the cross of Christ put to death the enmity between the two opposing groups. Which means that wherever the gospel is truly preached and truly believed, a type of unity will be inevitable. The cross secures it. Just think about when you see survivors of a shipwreck or a plane crash. And immediately there's a type of connection that the people have with one another. I mean, they stood together on the precipice of death and they made it out alive together. And in the same way, friends, when the gospel is rightly preached and truly believed, we know that we were all together under the wrath of God because of our sin. But now we stand together under His grace. It no longer matters most if you're white or black, or young or old, or rich or poor. Christ is now our everything. He is our all in all. He brought us through together from death to life. And so what's most true about us now is our union with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We come to realize there are really only two types of people in the world. Saved and unsaved. Lost and found. Spiritually dead and spiritually alive. So we must be a church that never simply assumes the gospel. We must make it explicit. We must rest all of our hopes in it. 
We should trust wholeheartedly in the death of Christ for our sin and His resurrection from the dead for our life. And the desire, friends, to see God glorified for His wisdom, if that's what we want, to see God glorified for His wisdom, it should compel us to preach the gospel without prejudice. Because now that person who's a little bit different than me, that neighbor who looks different, my co-worker whose culture is different, I look at them and I say, we could be united together as family. We could together display the wisdom of God to the world, but I must first open my mouth and proclaim the truth of the gospel. And this desire to see God glorified for His wisdom should compel us to proclaim the gospel far and wide. I love our trips to Kenya because as soon as we arrive at our destination, our brothers and sisters in another continent, speaking another language, all begin jumping with joy to see us. We hug each other and we start singing praises to God together. I mean, it's the glorious wisdom of God that we can get off of a plane in another country and still be with family. Yet we want to see this more. Because God is saving people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so we need to have an eye constantly towards proclaiming the gospel to all the nations. We want to see Jesus worshipped everywhere so that God's marvelous wisdom would be on display. So friends, the eternal purpose of God for the church propels us forward in our mission to proclaim the gospel. We want God to be glorified for His wisdom. So we proclaim because we want others to join us in the family. And so we preach the gospel without prejudice at home and to the nations. And if you think that you're not able to do this, that maybe you feel like you're not very good at sparking spiritual conversations, turning a secular conversation into a spiritual one, or how to answer all the questions that an unbeliever might ask you, or perhaps you feel too immature in your faith to be a faithful witness, then verse 8 should encourage you Because you're in good company. Here's what Paul said. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Paul called himself the very least of all the saints. So friends, God can use the very least of all the saints to proclaim the gospel for His glory. So He can certainly use you and me. But there's one other thing we can do as part of our mission. Something else to display God's wisdom to the angelic hosts. We find it in Ephesians chapter 4. It's just in the next chapter, verse 3. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. And Paul gives us a command. And what he says is this. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Paul tells us to be diligent to preserve the unity. Meaning we don't have to create the unity. Jesus has already done that. Through the cross, He has broken down the dividing wall. Now we're called to maintain the unity. You see, we don't display the wisdom of God to the angels by just telling them how wise He is. We don't just go to the world and say, God is wise. What we do is we live it. 
We live it in such a way that God's plan to glorify Himself for His wisdom through the church can be seen on display day in and day out. So we should strive for a type of unity that the world has always strived for but could never achieve. There's an old, uh, an old saying that Sunday is the most segregated day of the week. Dear friends, this shouldn't be so. One way that I've put it before is this. We should strive for a type of unity that can only be explained by Jesus Christ. What if we strive for a unity that could only be explained by our mutual love for Jesus? Different walks of life, different socioeconomic classes, different ethnicities, different generations, all together united under our common confession in Jesus. Living life together and loving each other well. And friends, if we're truly in Christ, we have everything we need to see this come to fruition. In fact, we have differences represented in this room already. But we all have one Savior. And so consider what it would look like for us to intentionally live in such a way that God's wisdom is made known. I mean, it happens as we gather, but what about as we leave? How might you preach the gospel without prejudice? How might you practice hospitality and seek to be an encouragement to a brother or sister that the world might think you have nothing in common with that person? Church, this means that we have a grand purpose. It also means that as we get ready to celebrate the baptism of Thomas, and as he is brought into a church family, that he has the opportunity with us to live that out before the world. It's a wonderful thing. God's eternal plan is to make his wisdom known through the church. And so we should go and preach the gospel to all the nations and strive for a unity that can only be explained by Jesus. Let me pray for us this morning as we get ready to transition for our baptism.